Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe, where we dig deep on how to stand out from the crowd by building bridges and breaking free from the comfort zone of colloquialism, industrial language, and jargon to find new words, new thinking, and new approaches to ignite action, mobilize a wider network of ambassadors, create customer loyalty, even in a downturn, and build better internal culture. Hi, I'm your host, Torrin. I'm bilingual and throughout my life have straddled two cultures, Norwegian and American. I've worked in 10 different industries spanning 25 countries. I have seen firsthand the power of diverse collaboration to create impact across cultures, countries, and the political divide. On this podcast, we will bring on notable leaders from all walks of life to teach us and provide us tools on how they have moved beyond their comfort zone and create amazing breakthroughs of profit, opportunities, and impact. Now let's get started. Welcome to Movie Beyond Your Tribe. I'm really excited to have Brenda McGuire. Uh, She has been to 85 countries, lived in six. She's the CEO of two international companies, Worldwide Connect, which helps with cross-cultural understanding for business professionals. Then she's got Global Gals to help women with traveling internationally. Welcome, Brenda. How are you? Good. And thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've met in a mastermind and I was just so fascinated when I meet someone else. It's kind of like a, you're not really a third culture kid. You're a third culture grown up, but it's just so fun to meet someone that has that knowledge, experience, and love for travel, which I do. And so I just wanted you on to tell us a little bit, how did you go from local to global? Well, you know, I, I didn't actually just become the global gal, right? So I started very local. It takes in time. Fact, <laughs> in fact, you have to picture my world. Picture this. The world I grew up in, it was a country road in the middle of Iowa. So my nearest town was only a thousand people. I was surrounded by a sea of cornfields. So definitely a country girl. You know, I dreamed of traveling the world, but I had no idea how to do it. In fact, I didn't even know anybody, I didn't even know anybody who did. I didn't know anybody who had passports, but I had this dream of getting out of my small world. When How I did was you start nine, that dream? How when well, did that when dream I start? Years old, I had opened up an encyclopedia and I saw the Swiss Alps and I was just mesmerized by them. I was like, oh my gosh, it looks so beautiful. And then when I was 17, we had an exchange student from Norway who started opening my worldview and gave me a different perspective of the world that I hadn't had, you know, growing up to that point. When I was 19, so I where finally- in Norway was that? Because you know, I'm Norwegian and I love and I have several listeners from Norway. So, where in Norway? She was from Bergen, Norway. Oh, wow. Great. So do you speak a little Norwegian? (laughs) No, but I I know you do, right? And you spend part of your time in Norway, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry sorry for interrupting you. So you were 19. What happened then? So I ended up getting to go to Switzerland. And not only that, I, I lived on three dairy farms in the Swiss Alps, and I milked cows by hand in the whole nine yards. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, Heidi. <laughs> you were Heidi. Oh, my gosh. That's yes, so cool. Yes. Yes. But when I was 21, I saw a poster that would change my life forever. In fact, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that one poster. And it had three simple words, see the world. The destination was the world. What it was, was it was called Semester at Sea. And it was a floating university. And you live on a ship for a semester and you go around the world with your professors and you get 15 credits. So here I was, 
three months later, standing at a pier in Vancouver, about ready to set sail, you know, my destination, the world. But you can imagine, here's this small town Iowa girl about ready to embark on a 102-day journey around the world. I was like, I was terrified, but I was excited. And the very first port of call we went to was Japan. And it was immediately then I started saying, oh my gosh, we're truly living in a very kind-hearted world. And the world wasn't as scary as I thought. So we got, you know, I went on to 11 more countries came back to Iowa, forever changed, as you can imagine. And I think, and that experience actually gave me the confidence to embark on other adventures. So the next 10 years, I was like a global nomad, globe trotter, whatever you want to call it. And I moved to six countries. I traveled, as you mentioned, to 85. And I actually sailed around the world two more times. Wow. With the same company or with someone else? It was an organization called Peace Boat. It was a Japanese NGO and I was teaching on it and I got to see, you know, so many amazing, you know, parts of the world and, and, you know, experience different, different issues that were going on at that time. That's really cool. So you basically have traveled to so many countries at such a young age and a poster basically took all those little parts of your dreams and of your childhood, put it all into one and you you just took the risk in a sense. And then you found that it wasn't that much of a risk. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, I learned so many powerful lessons, you know, during my global journey and I'm still, I'm still learning every day you learn something new. Right. So, but you know, I broke a lot of faux pas unknowingly. I overcame a lot of obstacles, roadblocks. I gained a lot of international experiences. So, you know, and I was exposed to different tribes and and learned about other cultures. And after, you know, after that, I returned back to, to the U.S. I lived in New York and then now I live in Iowa, but I turned my passion for travel and connecting with other cultures into starting two international companies that now help people to live, work, and travel the world. So in a sense, I've dedicated my life now to helping others on their global journeys, both personally and professionally. And, you know, I really, my life's mission is to help other people to experience and enjoy this amazing world. I, would I, think, like to- I, I think it would be really interesting though, sorry for interrupting you, but I would love for you to tell us about how you met your husband, because that's a real local global experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, one thing my journey has taught me is we're truly living in a small world, right? There's a saying, be careful, we're living in a small world, but it's so true. So, you know, I spent my whole life trying to get out of Iowa and I was gone, like I said, for all those years. And as fate would have it, on closing ceremony night at the Olympics, I met a boy from Iowa who had just moved to Sydney, Australia, like I had. He was an expat and I had just moved there too. And we happened to meet on closing ceremony night at the Olympics. Now, had I not lived in Japan, I went and met him or went on peace boat because one of my friends came, introduced me to somebody who introduced me to him. And then we spent two years in Sydney together, a backpack the world on the way home and got engaged at the Olympics in Greece, got married in Maui. And I'm really <laughs> sad to say we were supposed to be at the Tokyo Olympics this summer, but... Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so oh, I get to wow. all the way around the world to get away from my hometown. Isn't that funny how that happens? It's like that happened to me. I'm I'm in Kanab and I meet someone from my hometown and we're just like laughing. How did that happen? But such is life, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I would think what I'd love to learn from you because I think what your husband's meeting your husband this way and the sense of connection that you have and networks that you work with. What do you think about the whole six degrees of separation? Do you think it's less than that? Or what is because it you've probably had a lot of other magical experiences meeting people that you didn't realize you were closer to than 
than you were. Yeah, I, I certainly believe in that. And, you know, I, uh, in fact, I have a website called smallworldstories.com where I've actually shared some of my stories of how I've met people in one continent and ran into them in another continent. And that's happened to me multiple times. <laughs> and, you know, life is about relationships. And it's a way of connecting people in the most unexpected ways. And there's a, I've had so many serendipitous moments. And, you know, as I've been out on the road, I've heard other people's serendipitous moments. You know, I could, I could spend, I could spend the whole hour just sharing some of them. But one that I love is that I had lived in Sydney, Australia, and I had a boss. I worked, I did international recruitment. And a couple of years later, I moved to London. And I was looking for a job. I was walking down the street with my resume. And who did I run into but my old boss from Sydney, Australia? And she just happened to be starting a new office in London and across the street. And I had a job. So literally, literally. And you know, what's that saying? Be careful. You're living in a small world. And keep in mind, this was before the internet, before social media, before all of this. So I believe this for a very, very long time. I've got so many amazing stories of what a really a small, globally connected world we're living in. But when you reflect on that, then, if you reflect on all these connections that you've had, uh, what what do you think about that? What what do you think it is? Is it just that you were in certain circles that were similar globally and you connected because of interest or was it passion or or is it just really serendipity? Like what is what is serendipity for you? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good question. I, I would say, you know, some of it, you're just putting your place yourself in the right place and, and connections, number one. But number two, I believe in divine connections. And, you know, and, and you know, it was not an accident. I met my husband in some ways that, you know, I could say, oh, it's a big coincidence, but I, I believe that. So I don't know. I, I feel like it. we are living in such a, an amazing, small, globally connected world. And I will tell you right now with technology, we can connect with people, you know, amazing people. Last night, I was on a call with somebody from Mongolia, and she graduated from the same program I did in Sydney, Australia. And here we were just like talking for an hour, like, you know, we really the first time we'd ever connected. So and then we found out we we had so many of the same connections and backgrounds. So it's, you know, and then if you go on LinkedIn, this one guy connected with on from Tokyo the other day, and we went on LinkedIn, it was really shocking, like how many shared connections we actually have in the world. So I don't know, I just believe I believe all of that, what you're saying. So <laughs> that's really, really cool. Yeah, the serendipity of life. But you know, my podcast is called Moving Beyond Your Tribe. And what you've really exemplified is you've been from Iowa, you've been to 86 countries, you've lived in six and really connected yourself in various tribes in a way. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And as I was preparing for this uh, podcast, knowing the theme about tribes, it made me reflect that, you know, I, I know I grew up in the rural Midwestern tribe, as I mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking, wow, I've actually been part of many tribes during my global journey. You know, first of all, you know, growing up in rural Iowa, you know, I really believe that's where, you know, my morals, my values, my sense of community was instilled and, you know, you trust people. And I think that served me well in my global journey to be able to go out there and into the world, be with open-minded curiosity rather than the maybe preconceived ideas. Now, once I got out into the world, I realized, wow, there's a whole bunch of other tribes that are very different than than the one that I grew up grew up in. And so in a sense, when I lived in these six countries, I recognized that, you know, in each of these countries, they they have their own cultural tribes, if you will, and subcultures of that. And I was able to learn some of their rich cultures and traditions and ways of life and values and beliefs. So it was really, really eye-opening and it expanded my world to realize, wow, those tribes live very differently than, than the tribe I grew up in. 
So how would you define what has been like the most surprising thing that you've learned by interacting with other people, interacting with other tribes and say like when you were in Japan, you got one tribe, when you were in other countries, like what have you kind of learned? Well, I I believe and and we teach this in cross-cultural that, you know, a lot of times when we travel to other countries, we're really only seeing the surface culture, what people are doing, how they behave, what they're eating. But when you are living in another country, it's like a cultural immersion in the sense that if you think about an uh, iceberg, you can see the top of the iceberg, it's what you can see, but it's really the deeper culture, it's what you can't see what's below the surface. And that was the ways their beliefs, the way they, you know, lived, what they did, their values, beliefs, all of those, those kinds of things that were you know, unseen that all of a sudden it made me appreciate and you know respect cultural differences even more. Wow. And and what have you kind of learned with humankind? Like because you're teaching cross-cultural is there like a certain similarity between the cultures? Like, how do you teach to like save what someone from Norway, Denmark, as opposed to Japan or going into these countries? How do you do that? Or how, what have you learned from that? I've realized that there are many, many similarities, but of course there's differences and that makes cultures, I think they're like a gift to be opened. If you think, I think about it. And when I say a gift, I, I feel like when I go into a new culture, it's learning new ways to do things, their perspective, their traditions, values, beliefs, language, food, all of that, like an onion. And there's many layers. And one thing in terms of business is they, we also have to recognize that they all have different ways of doing business. How is business done? And what I see and I worked with thousands of global business professionals, is sometimes they don't know what they don't know. So they'll go into a country, in a sense, with their own lens about how business is done, but then they fail because they don't know what they don't know. So for example, when we're working with business professionals or global entrepreneurs, and they're going to be, meet with an international client or customer, we'll ask them, do you know how to? Do you know how to build trust and rapport? Do you know how to introduce yourself? Do you know the best way to make eye contact? What are the rules for doing business? Body language, communication style, decision-making. So everything is impacted by culture. And I often find people don't know what they don't know. And that's what gets them in trouble when doing business overseas. So don't know what you don't know. Would you say the most important currency is trust? I, I would say that, and I would say that many cultures are relationship-based and they will and they won't do business with you unless you, they have a relationship. We're here in the US, we're very transactional, right? We don't necessarily have to be friends or have a great relationship with someone to do business, right? right. But like for example, I spent two years in Japan. And, you know, I worked with Japanese businessmen and, you know, they would spend a lot of time socializing, getting to know each other and really taking the time to build the trust. But once that was built, you know, there was better business relationships. So I think some cultures are more transactional, some are more relationship based. And but at the end of the day, you've got to have trust in, in, you know, in order to to do, you know, to do business in a sense around the world. So it's like there's various levels, there's various roads to trust. Some it can be transactional and some it can be relational, but trust is kind of an important thing. That's really interesting. So if you think about what would you give as a tips for someone that's going into a new country business-wise? I mean, I totally recommend them to hire you to help with getting acclimated and understanding because I think you're so right about this. You don't know what you don't know. And I remember helping a, a company where they were going into a country and they didn't want to have any help. And then it became a disaster. And then when I asked them afterwards, would you have gone in there? And they go, no, I wouldn't have gone in there. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you needed the course, right? So how do you deal with that? Or what are your reflections on that? 
Well, I'm what's considered a cross-cultural expert. And, you know, and I grew up in Iowa. I didn't say, you know, one day I'm going to grow up and become a cross-cultural business expert. But what happened in my case was in 1998, it was a pivotal turning point for me. I was living in Osaka, Japan. I was training businessmen from like Nestle, Microsoft to do business in the U.S. But at the same time, it was teaching me about my own culture. And I was recognizing how many cultural faux pas and mistakes I was making that I didn't all because again, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I said, wow, you know, there's a whole industry, a whole field called cross cultural that actually helps prepare business people and expats to not make the same mistakes that I made. And so I moved to New York, I headed up the one of the world's largest intercultural training companies. And then 15 years ago, I started my own intercultural training company cross culturals. We also we, we go by intercultural cross cultural it's called Worldwide Connect. And, and that's what we do. We help people to bridge those cultural gaps, to increase their cultural competence and to be able to reach their global business goals. And, you know, whether they, you know, to help them close more deals, do business, attract, retain clients, open new markets. So we do all kinds of cross-cultural training, global leadership development, helping them to, you know, work effectively across cultures. And now the big one is how to work virtually with the world. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because right now when you're talking about, like, say, Japan is going to ha- need relationship building, and I still think it can build relationship virtually, but what is different about that and building trust over the virtual? Well, it's not easy for cultures that are used to developing business relationships over a time period. So let me give you an example. We were working with a client from Brazil, and that was a really important part for him in doing business is to build those relationships and, and get to know the people. And he's really how he was really struggling because now, you know, you get on a Zoom call, it's one hour and, you know, you don't really have that, that you don't know that person in a sense. So right. I think it's not as easy for some, you know, and it depends on what, what culture be able to. But that said, I think what's been really helpful is like platforms like Zoom or Teams or some of those because we can now for the first time see people, you know, everything's changed in the last, you know, year, a couple of years. So I think you can bring the whole world virtually together. But there's also the important caveat, just because you're all on the same call from different countries doesn't mean you all understand each other. So what we're doing is helping people to understand, well, you know, do you have people who are direct versus indirect communicators on that call? Do you have people who are coming more from a group oriented culture versus an individual, you know? So there's a lot of cultural dynamics at play during these virtual calls. And if you, again, if you don't know what you don't know, and you're working with, let's say a client from the Middle East or South America or different countries, and you don't know what you don't know, you know, that that could, you know, that could it cause you to have more conflict, frustration, lost opportunities. And, you know, in a sense, lost business opportunities as a result. All right. So what you don't know is kind of an interesting component, because how do you find out what you don't know? <laughs> I mean, like, that's how we help, right? So we, you know, yeah. we, we uh, do coaching and training. And, you know, there's a lot of information on online, you know, just Google it. But I think, you know, I think it's important that culture impacts everything. And and let's say in the business world, how you make decisions, how you plan and deliver presentations, how you conduct meetings, how you interview, introductions, giving in eliciting feedback. So I think we just, you just have to recognize and do your homework, you know, do your research, work with a cross-cultural coach or consultant, you know, do some research online and get to know about that country or culture. So don't just jump on a Zoom call or don't just you know, jump in without really understanding and, and, you know, learn a few of the words too, from their, their culture as well. Learn a few words, but I like what you said. And I'd love for you to reflect on that. 
Culture impacts everything. And, and it does. And what happens is a lot of the times in the cross-cultural world, we have a lot of people, oh, that's that soft, buzzy thing. And then when they start getting into doing business with that cultural country, then they reach out to us and they realize, oh my gosh, we've made all these mistakes. We have, you know, we've damaged relationships. We've lost revenue. And, you know, then, then they reach out to us. We become the band-aid, unfortunately. So for example, we were working with an organization that went into China and they did everything that, you know, to, to set up this plan in China and do all that, but they didn't take the time to understand how to manage a local workforce. And so they were using the U.S.-based ways of managing employees. Well, obviously, how you manage an employee, uh, a workforce in, let's say, China is going to be very different. How do you how do you give feedback to them? How do you arrange with meetings? All of those types of things. And the other thing we have to be careful is when you're working with cultures of similarity, like UK, Australia, uh, different countries where they speak English. We have this assumption: oh, well, they speak English. They they you know look like you know. Totally us. agree. And in the reality is that really they have their own business culture. And I lived in Australia for three years. I've lived in Ireland and England. But in Australia, I watched U.S. companies fail there, again, because they didn't really understand how to motivate an Australian workforce. They didn't understand. They didn't take the time to learn, to be quite honest. What was the biggest mistake that you found working with the Australians? Like, what was the number one thing that they're making a mistake on? Well, I, I think there's there's a couple of things. First of all, there's something called the tall poppy syndrome in Australia where, you know, Americans can be, we, U.S. Americans can be seen sometimes as being, we, we're bragging or so independent, we show whatever. That, where in Australia, the tall poppy syndrome means they cut you down if you, if you try to, you know, show off too much or whatever. So, but also too, I think, you know, the cultural lifestyle and understanding how business is done in Australia is, you know, different too. But do you think the tall poppy syndrome, I think a lot of cultures have that. I think America is probably in its own category of being able to brag about themselves. But don't you think a lot of the rest of the world has this notion of tall poppy syndrome where you can't brag too much about yourself? Yeah, you're correct. And they have different terms for it. So for example, there's there's like research based. So this isn't Brenda. This is there's research out there that, you know, different cultures have cultural dimensions. And, you know, some cultures are very, very individual and some are very group oriented, right? So in America, in the US, we're like, oh, me, my, my accomplishments, I. But then you go into other cultures, let's say Japan, where I live, where it's a very group oriented. And you you try to be humble. You, you try to save face. You don't, you know, it's how you approach things. And you have to be careful about giving too much direct feedback or so forth. And, you, you know, there's a lot of cultures that you want to be humble. And so, yes, to your point, definitely many cultures are like that. But that makes it hard when we get to be more like, a, as you said, small world, right? Because mm -hmm. if you present yourself, and I remember this when I was in, in uh, college and I was dating someone from Norway and he came to visit me in college in, in the U.S. and he got so upset with me. He goes, you're like a totally different person who are you? And it wasn't, and I was like, well, you know, when I'm in Norway, I'm more humble. I don't go around like being an American, if that makes sense. And then, and it was interesting because he couldn't assimilate. Like, so when he, he couldn't understand the difference, but then when he was in the U S for a while, he understood it, but it was just a very interesting reflection because it's not like you're different, but you are trying to accommodate the culture that you're in. Exactly, exactly. And you know, that's, that's what you're like a, a cultural chameleon when you're doing business abroad, right? So you need to, right. you don't need to change yourself and who you are. It's just being respectful and understanding. You know, there was a, a research survey by DDI, it's called Leaders Ready Now Report. And they asked 13,000 global leaders from 48 countries, 
what's your weakest skill? Do you have oh, any idea what the response was? Any idea? No, no I don't mean it? to put you on the spot, but <laughs> yeah. put me on the spot. Um, leading, leading across countries and cultures. So it's not easy. Nobody's got it all figured out. And wow. you now let's just throw a pandemic in the middle of it. And so all the, what do you, wait, let us stop this because I really think that's a pause. So the number one problem businesses have is leading cross cultures. Well, according to the survey, wow. yeah, they said, what's your weakest skill as a leader? That's what they said. That's interesting. And I think you're right because it's like, and this whole point I was coming to was that because you're a chameleon, that can actually damage your brand because it's virtual right now. And you, it's almost like you're in, in a sense, you're one dimensional on your LinkedIn. You can't be my LinkedIn profile for Germany, my LinkedIn profile for Norway, my LinkedIn profile for US, right? You're kind of this one person. And if you're working with a lot of cultures, what do you do? I mean, what is your reflection on that? Yeah, you know, it's hard to your point, but again, just making the effort. So if you're going to be, you know, trying to work with a customer in Germany or another country, just when you're working with them one-on-one to really, you know, take that time. And I think global leaders too, they have to develop a global mindset. You know, there was another survey by the University of North Carolina when they asked 300 global business professionals, they said 94% of them said developing global competitive leaders was important to their success. So, and what did they, what was that? Multicultural sensitivity, strategic thinking, ability to communicate effectively and ethics and integrity. So I think, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy, but when you are, you know, working with a specific country or culture, and I, I don't know all of the countries or cultures. In fact, um, I have 150 trainers and coaches in about 40 countries for Worldwide Connect. So I have experts on the ground. I'm not an expert in every country or culture, but I do have people on the ground who, let's say in India or whatever, who can help you navigate and and, share how is it different. So this is really interesting because what you're saying is that we are more and more creating a global mindset and more and more companies are looking for a person with a global mindset And what would you, like three to five points, what is a global mindset? Yeah, so Harvard did a a survey and they looked at that too. And a global mindset is basically you're able to adapt and, and, you know, navigate these, these different cultures. You know, I think, again, it goes back to multicultural sensitivity, understanding how different customers and clients will communicate in, you know, in the, in the marketplace. I think that understanding connections, again, going back to that relationship base we talked about, but how do you connect around the globe? And that was something the CEO magazine actually actually interviewed us for in an article, how to connect around the globe. And so I would encourage, um, you know, your listeners, if you're interested in some tips, you can go to worldwideconnect.com and download that CEO magazine article. But it, you can I, give us the link, then I'll put that in the show okay. notes. Because I think that's an important one to, I would like to read it. So yeah, yeah, no. So it's really interesting what you're saying. So there is a global, to go back to the Harvard thing. So could you give us like just a taste of What was like the most important, like you're saying multicultural sensitivity, what does that actually mean? You know, it's really just being understanding and respectful. My way is not the only way, you know, necessarily doing business around the world, right? It's, it's, it's being reflective and thinking about it. And there's some emotional intelligence involved. And I just, I find a lot of people, they, they need to, you know, think about their worldview because some people have such a small worldview. I've met global leaders who are running 10, you know, direct reports in 10 countries 
And they're not even taking the time to really understand maybe that the, you know, that the world that they're working in and, and, and understanding their employees from, from different parts and their perspectives, right? So I would say that just understanding that, you know, in today's world, you've got to be flexible, you've got to be adaptable. And you really have to take the time to, you know, widen your worldview, if you will. So how do you widen your worldview, but at the same time, keep the integrity of what you're believing? Well, I think there's, you know, there's two things going on here. There's your personal values and your beliefs and your, you know, integrity but you believe. And that doesn't mean you have to adapt everything that you are doing (laughs) um, around the world to fit everything around the world. But I also think that, you know, in today's world, it's it's definitely not easy to be a global leader, like I said. And I think that, you know, we just need to really be, be thoughtful that, hey, our way is not always the best way or <laughs> the right way of, of, of doing something. You know, kind of going back to your question about the global mindset, well, there's the research that the Harvard Business Review did conduct. It said a global mindset is the ability to adjust to different environments and cultures internationally. And then that there's three key attributes to that. So intellectual, taking the initiative to learn more about how people of different cultures think and respond to situations. And number two, psychological, have, have an interest in getting to know about other cultures and mm. social, the ability of an employee to have intercultural empathy for an international colleague. So kind of like what I said before, but that's the three key attributes they they actually found in their research. That's so interesting because when you're thinking about the global mindset, I know that some people will say from your local group, well, you've lost touch with me. You've lost touch with your local roots. Have you ever experienced that? Or is there a way that you now have to take that into consideration of being more attuned so that you might lose part of your local roots. I'm a perfect example. I live in two worlds. So I live back in Iowa where I started from local, <laughs> but right, then I yeah. also have to work with the world. And in, in one, in, you know, maybe in a few days time and one day I might work with 10 different countries. Right. Wow. So you're always kind of navigating. Right. So right. one minute I'm talking to somebody in Tokyo, but I have to be mindful of, you know, the, the communication style and pattern next minute, you know, I'm, I'm talking to uh, like yesterday, a leader in India who has direct reports in 10 countries and being, you know, and also being respectful of what's going on with the COVID situation and empathy. You know, I will tell you, I met with this, this leader a year ago. I was in India right before the world shut down. And we went and had this amazing dinner to build a relationship, right? right. And when I got back and then, you know, a few months later, we were into COVID and I decided to reach out to him just to say, hey, how are you doing? Not to, not to you know, try to push business or, you know, anything like that. Just, I was just genuinely concerned. He said, Brenda, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I just had six members of my team die from COVID. No way. So I think right now, just having an empathetic style right now is, is just really critical and, and, and being really aware of what's going on and not when, and realizing we don't know what's really going on in different, in different countries and cultures that we're wow. working with. I know it's, it's funny. Cause when you've been in the U S for a while, I've lost touch with some of my Norwegian idiosyncrasies and I'm like, Oh, I gotta be more attuned to what's even happening in my homeland. That's really, that's really, really interesting. Huh. And what would you think about COVID then? How has COVID changed? You know, I, I, I interviewed the, the Mark Klosterman, who I interviewed uh, right before you that's launched. He was basically saying COVID has made us more uh, being able to establish relationships around the globe. But it's again, 
having the blueprint that you're talking about and how do you interact with people? What have you seen with COVID? How has it changed in your line of business? You know, I uh, I actually did an article or blog, which you can see on my brendamaguire.com website about how being a world traveler actually has helped me cope in the COVID world. I think as I was reflecting back, I realized that there were six things that that my global journey has taught me to be more resilient during these days. One of them is I've chose to look at this as one grand adventure. So like the COVID journey. So like with any adventure, there's, you know, your faith, your well-being, your emotional strength, but there's going to be good days and then there's going to be bad days, right? So, you know, and being in preparing psychologically, because I'm a huge world traveler right before the world shut down, I was in 15 countries on four continents and then bam, the world shut down, right? So I'm telling myself psychologically, I'm I'm being on a long layover (laughs) right now that, that I'm, you know, having this time. It's taught me resilience. My travel has taught me about resilience. And then I would say adjusting your course. My two international businesses have changed immensely because of the because of covid but on the other hand i honestly believe this is one of the absolute best times to do global business oh my gosh this is so amazing because before i'd have to get on a plane and go all of these places and now all of a sudden i'm interacting with people around the globe every single day from you know from my office in iowa and you know yeah we always had kind of technology and i've worked remotely for 15 20 years already so for me this wasn't a new thing but i think the game changer has been like the zoom and all of this technology it has been amazingly changing. So, you know, just in the last couple of days, I had, you know, a call face-to-face with somebody in Mongolia, you know, talking about doing a cultural exchange. You know, I've been, I just talked to somebody in Rwanda who's Dutch and we're working on doing some coaching programs together. And I connected with a guy in the UK and we're planning a, wow. a trip to Mongolia. And so my point, my point is, I think right now with technology, we're able to network with the world. We're able to, you know, things have been, have been flattened in a sense, the, some of the barriers, because you can work with the whole world. So people all of a sudden were local maybe a year and a half ago with their business, but I'm telling people, forget that you're global, no matter what, we're all global right now. Because if you've got internet and you've got all this technology, you can work with the entire world. So you can work with the entire world with COVID. So what would you think is going to happen to travel? Because what this gentleman's Mark was saying was that travel, they think it's going to take 10 years because it's before it's going to pick up again to the rates it was, or the level it was before COVID hit. And what is your reflection on that? Well, I believe COVID has changed the travel landscape, good and bad. I believe that, you know, and I follow this for Global Gals with travel quite closely, but um, I recently attended something where Pauline Frommer from the Frommer Guidebooks was speaking. And, you know, like there's so many airlines, hotels, tour companies, we don't even know if they're going to survive. One third of hotels may not be here, right? So that's going to change. But I also think in a positive way, we're going to have more thoughtful and intentional travelers. You know, they're going to be much more appreciative. And we have this shared global experience of COVID. So, you know, no matter where we go, but we're also going to be, I think, more thoughtful about travel. I think in a good way, environment, uh, we're going to be focused on more nature travel, sustainable. And then I also lastly think we recognize through COVID that life is short and tomorrow isn't promised to us. So I think I'm already seeing people be more likely to take that, that dream trip, right? They've, oh, you know, wow. someday, some, someday. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, that someday may not come. And in fact, so much so, um, I'm, I have, I launched a course about, you know, how to plan that epic dream trip because when the world it does open up, people are really want to get, they're going to want to go out and, and, and achieve that dream trip. And, and honestly, it might not be out of your country. I know for myself, I'm exploring my own backyard and it's been beautiful. You know, when I went to Minnesota, 
last summer in a cabin on a lake and it was gorgeous. And I'm going to Colorado. So I also believe, you know, travel, we're going to appreciate the travel in our backyard. We don't have to go to the other side of the world for right now. I like that. The travel landscape has changed. And I think you're right. We're going to have more intentional travel because that's what Mark was saying is that, you know, traveling with business is not going to be the same because now you're going to have a committee saying, why can't you do it on Zoom? And then you have to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a big thing of what Worldwide Connect does, we do, we train expats moving in and out of countries. And just yesterday, a client said, Brenda, we're going to start having virtual expat assignments. <laughs> so, you know, they're virtually an expat versus, you know, actually being there and moving for three years. So, you know, yeah, everything's changing, not just business travel, but, but moving, you know, talent to different places around the world. Oh my gosh. I love that virtual expat. Yeah. And I also think it's going to open up, you know, I've always, there's going to be so many opportunities where people all of a sudden are going, oh my gosh, I'm working remotely from, let's say, Des Moines, Iowa or Akron, Ohio. Oh, but why if I'm I'm working from home, I hear, why can't I just work from home in Costa Rica? So I think when the world opens up a little bit more, I think you're going to see more people moving to different places around the U.S. and country and working remotely or virtually because it's not going to really matter where they are. So I have already been um, working with people, some of my clients who are saying, you know, Brenda, I've always dreamed of having a, a global lifestyle. And guess what? It's going to be more likely to have those global lifestyles. Because guess what? If I can, you know, pick up my computer, I just talked to somebody a couple days ago and she's like, well, I was going to move to Canada. Oh, but I think I'll just move to Costa Rica now because my kids are on school online. So it doesn't really matter if I'm in Canada or Costa Rica. So I think that's also going to change too. The world's going to open up in a different way where people are going to work in different parts of the world. Ah, yeah, because that's kind of like me. I work in uh, Arizona right now, but most of my clients are in Norway. So yeah, I, I think you're right. And I would love for you to tell a little bit more about Global Gals, because I think teaching people a global lifestyle, that's something you do, and I, or, you know, wanting a global lifestyle or remote working lifestyle. And tell us a little bit about Global Gals. Right. So Global Gals, I started about, uh, I started eight years ago. And the reason I started Global Gals was I realized, gosh, nobody teaches you how to do any of this stuff, right? No. You just kind of learn. I, I made all the mistakes. I learned by trial and error. I had too much stress, time, money. So, you know, I spent too much money. So I'm like, wait a minute, why don't I package that and put that together and help other women on their global journey? And so, but what's really special about Global Gals is I launched it on the one year anniversary of my dad's passing. He was my biggest cheerleader and supporter. And honestly, you know, grew up with such supportive, my mom was too, very supportive of parents. And so when he passed away, I launched it on the one year to, to help encourage and empower other women to travel the world and experience it like he like he encouraged me. I wanted to encourage other women. I realized they didn't all have a dad like me. And the thing about my dad is that, you know, he, he got cancer, you know, he was always, he always said, Brenda, just do it. He used three simple words, just do it. And a few years before he passed away and he had, he had cancer, he said, you know, his dream trip was to go to Africa. And so I said, you know what, dad, just do it. And next thing I know, my dad was living his, his dream of going on safari and, and thank goodness we did that because, you know, that someday may not have come because we kept saying someday, well, we did it. The timing wasn't right. And when he, when he was in hospice, he was looking at the, the photo book of our time together in Africa. So again, I, oh, I never take that to help people. It's never too late to achieve that travel dream or goal. And Global Gals, you know, we help people deal with the roadblocks, the five Fs, fear, finance, 
focus friends family we we've done workshops we've held meetups around the world we've done i've taken trips women to on safari to namibian places so we we really are an amazing group of women like like-minded women of all ages backgrounds who have that passion for travel so we're a, a community of women a tribe of women and and we now help people on their global journeys and, you know, I would encourage you to check out globalgals.com and there's a free download on their 25 life-changing ways to live and work around the globe. So if you, anybody's interested yeah. here in seeing some unique ways, maybe they hadn't thought about, check that out. Yeah, we'll put that on the link in the show notes. We'll put the link of that in the various, the blog that you had and some of the other stuff so people can look at it and then they can go and visit your website. Well, this has really been interesting. Um, so if you look back on your life, what were some of your faux pas that kind of like redirected you to where you are today with, with traveling and stuff like that? I would say I just made them all. <laughs> you know? I, 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 and, and I think sometimes when I started that when I was younger, I didn't even really realize it, you know, that type right. of thing. So, um, <laughs> I so think, funny. I think if I just had some, some tips, some advice. The one thing I did do that I'm proud of is I kind of followed my heart. I trusted my gut. I listened to that inner voice. So when you're traveling the GPS, that's kept me out of danger. See, people think, oh, we're living in this really dangerous world. I don't believe that. I believe we're living in a kind-hearted world, a small world. I'm not saying there's not danger out there. Don't get me wrong. But I also think you people... If you just follow your GPS to keep you safe and, and make good when you're traveling to make good choices, um, I think that's important. I would say be open-minded, non-judgmental, be really authentic and wanting to learn about other cultures. And of course, get out of your comfort zone. I know, get out of your tribe. It's exciting what you've done. I'm really impressed with you. Do you have any last reflections on your life? If you look back and you've done all this, is there anything you would have done different or the things that you've done the same? Like you're basically saying you followed your inner GPS, which I think is beautiful and very smart. You've done that all your life and you've stayed out of trouble. Is there anything you would have told your 20-year-old self to do differently? You know, there's one quote that I'd like to I'd like to share that I, I always carried with me when I was traveling and I and I even in my 20s. And it's by Mark Twain. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, and discover. That's beautiful, Brenda. So as a last reflection, I always say before I'm allowing you to leave this wonderful discussion, I could talk with you forever and ever. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like we just scratched the surface. I think we're going to have to do part two. Um, <laughs> when you think back, what is the life hack that you've had? I would say dream big and just go ahead and set goals, whatever you want to, your bucket list, your goals, your milestones, and both personally and professionally. When I was 15 years old, I wrote down on a piece of paper, my hundred goals that I wanted to achieve in my life, right? Now I'm 15 years old. Now I was in Iowa, I had wow. nothing else to do. So <laughs> I, <laughs> 100 also, goals at 15. Goals. In fact, my niece just turned 15. I gave that for her a birthday present. I gave her a journal. I said, put you know, put your 100 goals. And in those 100 goals, it was very fascinating. I found them a few years ago. I completely forgot about them. And I now have achieved 75 of them. And no. um, yes, and, and some of them were pretty lofty goals. They were like, move to another country, you know, do this, do that. But there's some of them I will never achieve. Um, one of them is learn how to skate backwards, get a pony. <laughs> and my husband would absolutely say this, learn to cook. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a cook. So anyway, you know, I'll probably never learn that. But I, I just, I just, 
dream big. And I would just say, you know what, just why not just sit down um, your to do list. How did you, how did you find out? To, I mean, that's so mature of a 15 year old to sit there and draw and write 100 goals. How did that get started in your mind? That's pretty impressive. You know what? I don't know because back then there was none of this internet. I didn't know what self-help was. I didn't know what, you know, what any of that kind of stuff was. I think, I think I just dreamed. I think it's about dreaming. It's not even about, you know, a goal of your official goals. I think it's just like allowing yourself permission to say, what if, what if in my future I can do X, Y, and Z? What if, you know, I want to go on a safari or I want to do this. One person that I've done some training uh, who I, I consider a mentor is Jack Canfield. And he wrote the chicken soup for the soul series. You may know that. In fact, oh, I, was yeah. in, I was in a book with him called soul of success and you can download my chapter with him. But anyway, he's really big into goal setting. He did something similar when he, you know, when, when, and he shares his journey and he openly shares and, but his was some of them, his were a lot bigger, you know, uh, I don't know, make millions of dollars by the age of whatever. And, and so it was fascinating. I actually got to talk to him about that. And I was blown away that, that some of his travel dreams on his goal list, I had done that he wanted to do. So I don't know, I think about it. It's just, it's fun to just dream. Well, Brenda, it's been fun dreaming and talking about your life this last hour. And I just think it's so exciting to see from you what's possible. You know, you start in Iowa, you've been in 86 countries, lived in six, two international businesses, making a global impact on making people more mindful and creating them within themselves, having a global mindset. So I just have to say thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I just, I, I just love, love what you're doing and getting people to get outside their tribes. And that includes, you know, taking a risk, getting out of your comfort zone. But, you know, if I can help you, you know, so if you're someone on here who's listening and I can help you with your global goal or dream, you know, you want to live around the world or work abroad or yeah. create a global lifestyle or connect with cultures, then feel free to reach out to me and you can find me on LinkedIn, Brenda McGuire, the global we'll put, we'll put all We'll put all that in the show notes. We'll put the LinkedIn, we'll put the website, we'll put your articles that we've talked to the, throughout the program and ways they can connect with you. So it was LinkedIn. What other place would you recommend? So Brenda McGuire, the Global Gout Facebook, and I just joined Clubhouse. I'm all excited about Clubhouse. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then my website's Worldwide Connect, Global Gals, and brendamcguire.com. Wow. That's been wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Brenda. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, this has been fun. I appreciate it. And I think what you're doing is amazing of getting people to think beyond their tribe, go beyond it. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll continue. Excellent. Thank you for listening. If you happen to like this episode, please share with your friends. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and how we can improve and make this better or how this has helped you. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.